Hey guys, and welcome to season three of the Us People podcast. I'm your host, Savia Rox, and in this season, I get to make my guests laugh, cry, and even make them think about life a little differently with the questions I fire over to them, which digs into their lives and professions a little differently. We even had a chance to change up the intro, giving you a fresh new sound. I look forward to sharing season three of the Us People podcast with you. Let's go. This is Brian Wilson. I'm a producer, mixer, engineer. You're listening to Us The People podcast. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) These are outtakes. I like them. Okay, sorry, one more. This is Brian Wilson. I'm a Grammy-nominated producer, mixer, engineer, and you're listening to the Us People podcast with Savia Rocks. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Us People podcast. I'm your host, Savia Rocks, and today I'm humbled to have Brian Wilson here with me, also known as Boondice. I love the name. Brian is a multi-grammar-nominated music producer songwriter and mixer brian i want to thank you so much for taking your time to come on the us people podcast how are you i'm good i'm doing really good actually thank you for having me you know it's my pleasure wherever i can to just come on stuff like this and try to help educate people where i can kind of you know discuss my my come up in the in the industry and you know people can take what they will from that so thank you for having me no the, the honor like i said even before we started is all mine yeah. just for you coming on the show so brian my first question for you which i ask every single guest that comes on my show sure. because i think it's so important to know about them first before anything else is could you tell me a little bit about your background and also where you grew up but also how that influenced you to be the person who you are today Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I've been based in London now in the UK for, uh, probably the last coming up, maybe almost 15 years or something. You wouldn't be able to tell it because originally I'm from Toronto in Canada. So I grew up there. Um, you know, Toronto is a great multicultural, big city feel, almost kind of like a New York, but on a smaller scale. Um, so there's lots of influence from, you know, all parts of the, all parts of the world. But, uh, I'd say kind of one of the things that has sort of formulated this path for me coming into the music business was early on, you know, I did, I did stuff like sing in a church choir and like, uh, play violin in a kid's orchestra and stuff, which was at that time not necessarily my choice but that was just kind of part of the schooling system that i was in but my um my parents fortunately brought me to the caribbean a lot so places like cuba dominican republic mexico and things like that so i had a lot of um a lot of influence at least musically from salsa music and and you know different latin flavors uh just simply by going on trips as a kid. So, and then of course, growing up in North America, you know, the influence of hip hop and and all sorts of different pop culture items, you know, Michael Jackson, Hulk Hogan, all that, you know, (laughs) those kinds of things just, you know, would make me go nuts as a kid growing up. And much like, you know, millions and millions of other people, I shouldn't act like that's something special, but, (laughs) you know, um, the, yeah, so it it kind of, my my path, I guess, was established a little bit early in terms of music. And then once I started kind of growing up and becoming a teenager and figuring out this obsession with music and different styles and different influences. I started playing drums and my drummer was, uh, I mean, the uh, instructor that I had was the drummer of Shania Twain. And we used to do like a lot of Latin jazz and stuff like that. And then of course I started making beats in my parents' basement, listening to a lot of heavy influence from, you know, people like a tribe called quest and common and that sort of, style of uh of hip-hop at the time but then i liked i loved dance music as well so 
it was a real kind of eclectic sort of feel which set me on the path that I'm at. But that's kind of like the summary of my of my childhood that set me on this path. It sounds to me like your path was destined for you, Brian. Well, you know, I feel really lucky because a lot of times I probably knew that I wanted to do this from the age of like 14, 15, maybe even. Um, Definitely when I hit high school and figured out that actually I could have fun doing that and you didn't have to spend tons and tons of money to go into a studio except what that made me do is go down the rabbit hole of needing to figure out how all these classic records have been made so you know i did you don't have to do this but i ended up studying this and i thought there's all this pressure for you to figure out at such an early age like okay you got to go to university so i thought well why don't i just focus my efforts on the kind of technology side behind the music and figure out how all of these commercial studios work and that was really where um things started to move and that's exactly the reason why i moved over to the uk wow see guys even from the first question that i asked brian he's already given me inspiration to understand (laughs) it's true if you love something enough you gotta go for it no matter i'm sure we're gonna speak about this about the trials and tribulations of being in the music industry and how it treats us at the best of times yeah my next question for you brian is could you define yourself as a person and who do you see when you look in the mirror but also what does your reflection say back to you as a person i mean i'd say some of the more principled I'd like to think of myself as a person of principles. I've got fierce loyalty to the people that share those values. I like that. Uh, You know, basic principles and etiquette and the belief that the way that you treat people is what you should expect in return. And, you know, kindness costs nothing at all times. Um, Just being relaxed, you know, I'm not... I don't like high stress. I don't like um, overly selfish individuals around me. You know, what I've done as I've kind of grown up is, um, especially through my 20s of coming over here, working in the music business, is really just figure out the sort of types of personalities that I gel with and don't. But, of course, I can get down with anybody. I mean, that's yeah. been one thing that the studio world has taught me how to do, bouncing around between different styles of of, uh, of musicians, of artists, of management and genres and all of that. So the, the one common theme, though, I'd say is if you don't have basic human etiquette and treat people well, you know, and I'm talking at all levels from, you know, doesn't matter what your job is. And, or what you look like or what you have, you know, whatever, how, however you dress, none of that. Um, I'd like to think that I have that sort of ingrained within me. And I'd say that's probably a byproduct of growing up in a place like Toronto where um, you've got that multicultural influence from everywhere. So, yeah. you know, those kind of things, fortunately, you didn't necessarily even have to encounter that much. So, my understanding of it as an adult is uh, is is good. See, that's what you sound like, my kind of people. Yeah, I mean, look, and that costs nothing. Yeah, you know? exactly. And it's just having a connection with the right type of people. But right. also sometimes you can feel an energy from a person. Yeah. Which lets you know that you're able to have a conversation, a connection, an understanding with with someone even if you don't know them yet exactly exactly and you know some of the people that you keep in your circle um are just that way you don't need anything from them they don't need anything from you you just vibe together yeah definitely i definitely love that so brian tell me a little bit about okay the music industry is not a easy industry to get into 
No. I know a lot of the time we have to know somebody who knows somebody to know somebody for you to mm. be able, especially if you're self-employed. Yeah. And, and it's hard for photographers, for anybody exactly. who's doing anything that is self-employed. It's hard because we're always doing triple the work, yes. finding the clients, doing the work. But for you in the music industry, could you break down for me a day in your life from when you wake up in the morning and you say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to either mix, songwrite, right. produce, just so people can have a better understanding of what sure. you do so you can guide them through the process that if they wanted to do it, how it would all work. Well, I think for me to properly answer that question, I probably need to go back to at least clarify the beginning because you don't just start by wearing all of these different hats and successfully executing at a high level, right? You need to kind of have your entry point established first. And for me, instead of the, what I felt inside was, okay, I knew that I was capable. I knew I had lots to learn, but I didn't have the experience, which is most of the problem that's in the creative industry. So I thought, how am I going to call myself a producer if really I'm just, you know, casually making some little bit, some beats here and there working with people as a hobby, but how am I going to call myself a producer if I can't walk into a studio anywhere in the world and know what all of the, all of the equipment is. Yeah. Right. So I thought that what I should do actually is work in studios first. So I decided, okay, what would you do? You become an audio engineer, right? Yeah. So I happened to, like I was saying before, I moved over to the UK because I went to Paul McCartney's school up in Liverpool um, and kind of studied the behind the scenes stuff, right? So before I decided to move back to Toronto, I came down to London, stayed in, in this tiny little crap hotel and before I left, came down from Liverpool to London, I just jumped online, researched all about 10 to 12 of the top studios that had any big name clients, called them in advance, made sure that I knew who the studio manager was so that I could get a package together with my resume, examples of my work, um, you know, cover letters, whatever else was in the package, just what you would normally do to apply for a job, right? Right. And I hit them all up. Of course, most of them didn't have time for you, but there was one that offered me a job at the time called Dean Street Studios, which actually is still around. But I couldn't take that one because um, I had I, my business wasn't up, wasn't finished in Liverpool yet. Oh, okay. But I got my foot in the door with this company called Maloco Studios, um, who offered this work experience program where you didn't even set foot in a studio. Basically all you're doing is getting tea for people, cleaning, just doing all the stuff that obviously nobody ever wants to do. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah, exactly. So I did that and, uh, you know, that was just like a month or something and there was nothing for me. So I went back home. There was even less going on. I found myself doing this TV show for the major league baseball team there for the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, and I was just like, well, I don't know what to do here. There's like two studios and no jobs here. So, you know, do I try to get myself to New York? What do I do? Um, and you know, fortunately about nine months later, just as I was thinking about maybe switching up what I was going to do, um, Maloco studios here in London called me back and said, there's an assistant position opening. Do you want it? Uh, cool. And so I basically just said, well, how long do I have? Cause I'm coming back from Toronto and I can guarantee you if you actually reserve that job for me, I'll make sure that you don't regret it. So, you know, within a month I had moved back to the UK. Now that was only possible because I have a UK passport as well. I yeah. should add that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, visas don't work that quick. Let's be real. That's true. That is definitely true. <laughs> um, but, you know, fortunately, Maloko gave me the chance. And these guys turned out to, they're still kicking too. These guys turned out to be the biggest studio company in Europe. Whoa. So that was, I think, in 2009. Um, 
And then from that point on, basically to kind of, you know, roundabout way to get to your question eventually. But, uh, from that point on 2009, you know, cut my teeth with some of the best people. My very first session here in London was the first Florence and the machine album with yeah. Paul Letworth, who went on to, you know, obviously blow up with Adele and he did Coldplay and U2 and all these big, big names. Um, and so I cut my teeth with some really, really, really good producers, engineers, soaked everything up like a sponge, um, you know, different studios every day, different studios every week. Obviously that comes with all of its different sets of problem solving, solving and all of that. And, uh, you know, pro progressed basically to the point where I was a very in-demand uh, studio engineer for this company, Maloco, um, and that went great, you know, lots and lots of good credits with big names. Um, and then I just sort of at every step, you sort of realize, okay, do I like this or can I see myself, can I see this being viable in five years from now yeah. or can I see myself wanting to continue doing this in five years from now and in my case a lot of it and it still is changing this is why i've been doing all these different roles like writing production mixing engineering is because at every stage you realize actually the goalposts are constantly changing yeah that's true i totally agree with you there you know and like your need for expansion and your need for different challenges just as a creative person just changes so, um, you know, that leads us basically to now where I can do all of these different tasks because I've put in the time to actually learn it and achieve at every stage of it. So whether that's as an engineer, a producer, you know, now I help people that, that need writing experience or I'm, I'm just like a well-versed, um, kind of jack of all trades where a client can come to me and say, Hey, I need you to help me here. And I can at least break down what services I think they require, uh, or what I'm going to do and basically assign my, my skill sets appropriately. So now back to the goalpost thing, <laughs> I've now also set up a label slash artist platform just within the last year during COVID where, I take on artists that um, that I believe in, that I think are dope and across different genres, mostly under the pop umbrella, but that can include everything from kind of dance to EDM to trap to, you know, Ariana Grande style R&B stuff and everything kind of in between. I'll take those artists, kind of, you know, do what I do best, which is, from the ground up kind of work with them from everything from marketing and and so on so um including making the the music with them so that um that sort of love for wanting to continuously challenge myself has uh enabled me to kind of set this up as kind of a side passion project in addition to my normal work but now to finally answer your question in a given day, because I've got all that stuff going on, I might wake up, start with emails, and that could include anything from dealing with legal contracts to, um, you know, dealing with mastering on a track, dealing with clients for payments. You know, unfortunately, we all have to chase people for payments. It yeah. should be automatic, but a lot of people don't know what they're doing, so that's yeah. unfortunate. Um and then once I get through email world is basically a decision between do I do business today or do I do the creative? If I'm doing the creative and I'm sitting down and making new music, um, either on my own or with somebody could be diff for different purposes. Um, then I won't touch any of the business because that's a whole different mindset. Yeah, that's true. And if I decide to do the business, then that kills my creative. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I have, I, and I'm in the process now and I have had managers before I've had, I've gone through a couple of managers that um, let's just say we didn't quite align with our uh, definition of what progress or uh, ambition is. Okay. And uh, 
so I'm in the process of looking for both on the personal side of my kind of Brian Wilson career, plus the boom dice and the boom dice presents, uh, artist project and, and label. I'm looking for that assistance and it's about aligning with like-minded people where I can actually relinquish some of that, um, some of that control, which actually is going to completely just free me up to do more of the creative, but, uh, that's kind of a very, very long winded way to answer your question, but I didn't think I'd be able to tell you all of that stuff without knowing the rise up. I like the way you break it down because you really did emphasize on the things that matter and yeah. the direction of how the music industry can be, especially with the manager part also. Yes. Um, I know. I mean, that's, you know, that's probably a whole other question, but there's pitfalls all over the place for people starting up that yeah. promise a big game. It's like the same with, you know, music distribution companies and labels. And it's just littered. The internet is littered with people that say they can do stuff and just don't achieve anything. That's exactly, yeah. Trust me, I totally understand that part. <laughs> I, I worked in music publishing for about four or five years. Yeah. And the things I saw in the background of how many talented creative people do not even know what publishing is, do not yeah. look at what a publishing contract, how powerful a publishing contract is, it's amazing. Yeah. And I don't know if you would agree with me, Brian, but... I would say to anybody out there that if you are an artist or creative, and I know you guys love being creative, learn yeah. about the business side of, and of, of music publishing because that yeah. is like having the crown jewels in your hand. And to Absolutely. be honest with you, that will feed you for life. And, and, <laughs> and, and it's so important that you read before you sign. Don't just sign just to say uh. you've got a contract. Read everything get someone else to read it too i don't know yeah. if you want to have any intake on that brian is that something that you want to talk about oh, yes absolutely i mean i've made it the boom dice presents platform that is our uh that's what we preach we preach the education side we anyone that we do work with we uh make sure that it's simply laid out to begin with so that before I even click a mouse or before I ask anybody to do anything. And that includes whether you're a session musician, whether you're a co-writer on the track, whether you're the artists themselves. Yeah. I ask, I make sure that everybody understands what the splits are for all uh, rights of a copyright. And actually just today I went on a bit of a spiel on my LinkedIn that basically just posted the uh, music copyright explained, and it's more UK specific, but you know, certain con the the overall concept applies to anybody that's getting in this in the industry. Um, know what, know how the different sides of a copyright breaks breaks down. Yeah, I, I can't tell you the amount of people I'm current. I still, I constantly, even now, still battle people to make sure that they understand what they're doing and you can tell sometimes you can tell them five times and it still doesn't sink in it's because they're so, yeah they're so caught up in the other yeah. side of of the media and the fame yeah. they forget exactly. that the business is what's going to make them survive yeah exactly and it's about the longevity you know exactly all the, all the artists that we're talking about still today have at least lasted for you know a few years or, or well more than a few years like look at someone like you know what do we got beyonce rihanna you know i guess you could even you could still say madonna you could say you know bruno mars now is starting to get to that status you know and all of these people are talented they change with the times and um you know i'm sure that they got their business straight from the beginning and they may have they may have loads of excellent team members from the beginning that a lot of people don't have access to, but it is really worth 
understanding that yourself first so you can make educated decisions on who you're negotiating with. And that is whether you're a producer, you know, even as a mixer, you still should be getting royalty points on certain jobs. So how are you going to cover that? How is the contract going to be written up? How you, you got to make your decision on how you deal with those things where keep in mind, a lot of creatives don't want to talk about it probably because they don't understand it because yes. they think they're getting screwed. I totally agree with you there. See, and this is, I wish there was, I, I love what you're doing at the fact that you're breaking things down for people to be able to understand that the music business is important. And even yeah. before you get into a studio. Oh, I mean, we <laughs> haven't even talked about that yet. E- and exactly. Like, and and there's, no, there's no reason to, because there's two things I'm going to tell people out there. If you don't have basic etiquette and the ability for you to behave in such a way that is personable, likable in whatever situation, even high stress situations, and you understand the music business, those two things are going to get you a lot further because anybody can develop musical skill. You know, obviously it comes easier for some people than others, but I've also, on on the flip side, met a lot of people that have amazing musical skill, but you don't want them even close to you at all. Oh, yeah. Oh, you you hit the nail right on the head when you said that. Yeah, and for some reason, a lot of those types of people have wound up on the business side of the music industry, which is why we find ourselves in such set up in such a mess. Yeah. Because it's built in such a way to not afford certain opportunities or to keep those potential opportunities confusing because it's run by, you know, an old school system of major record labels. I think you're an activist of music, but you just don't know Uh, it yet, Brian. Maybe, maybe. (laughs) I feel like by setting this label up, things are really starting to kind of make sense to me in terms of the type of help that I'm going, that I do provide to certain artists and keep in mind, you know, this is just kicking off. We're only about five releases deep, but, um, Hey, one at a time. That's all it takes. One at a time. Yes, exactly. But every single one of those things that I'm talking about, I'm passionate about it. It bothers me when people don't understand it. And it also bothers me when, um, people choose to specifically ignore the fairness within that setup, you know? So there's also a lot of infighting between, or really, I mean, I shouldn't say infighting, but it's as a result of complete misunderstanding of the business side that a lot of people follow. Yeah, I totally And it's unnecessary. Do you think it comes down to greed? Because that's something I also wanted to talk about in the music business as well, and power, the two. Yeah. Yeah, I th- absolutely. I mean, that's part of it. But if we're talking in the unsigned game, like, you know, forget the label side because you can have an advance from a major label that might pay you 100000 for example, or even more. Let's say you got paid a million, yeah. you know, as an advance. You got to think if you haven't, if they've set you up with an accountant, if they've set you up with a manager, if they've set you up with a live agent, everybody's taking their cut by the time you're done with that you probably only have if you're lucky half of that and then if you go buy a if you're smart you'd probably go buy a house with it but don't tell them (laughs) (laughs) you know at least then you you would have something to show for it because the minute that you you could spend it all on a studio or you could hire someone like myself and i'd probably take a a decent chunk of that for the services that i provide but um, you know, you got to make sure that you understand what it is that, that you're getting into and the greed dangling money in front of somebody's face is easy. That's why the way, when I do these contracts, the way that I explain it is let's say you're the artist and you're about to, to appear on the next boom dice single released onto the, the boom dice presents platform. Yeah. Um, I will explain and give you template contracts that cover the master recording rights, the, uh, the composition rights or publishing rights, 
and it will be clear as to exactly what's how all of those things and uh, utilizations of the songs will be done afterwards. So all of that's clear. And I make sure that I say to every single person there, not, and this is not to be mean, but it's to be real. You don't have any fans yet. The idea behind this is to build your fan base to give you a leg up for your next whatever you're doing, right? Yeah. Now, theoretically, this might make us one pence or it might make us five pence, right? And I don't care which one it is. I just want you to know that there is a working system in place because you won't get that in most places. That's true. That is definitely true. So, you know, and let's be realistic. I spend on average probably a couple thousand, a few thousand every release and I'm unlikely to make my money back as a company or even an individual because sometimes as both the kind of, you know, the founder of this platform, as well as co-artist on some of these releases, it's a little blurred as to where the financial resource is coming from sometimes. That is true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I make, I make it clear that greed will not be a play a part in our negotiations because then that just shows me that you're unrealistic to begin with. Yeah, you got to have your thinking cap on first. Exactly. I know exactly. It, I know the music industry is hard, Brian, and I know that we understand that, but yeah. I'm so glad that you're on the show because you are really defining things on another level. Yeah. And, and I think that's so important. Uh, one of the things that Brian I did want to talk about is so we've spoken a little bit about the music business. We spoke about yeah people being humble within themselves before they even begin to go into the music business. We yeah. spoke about longevity, but one thing I do want to talk about, which I'm sure anybody creative wants to know, is let's talk about when you are in an actual studio. Could yeah. you, I don't want to talk about your artists because we spoke about sure. that before as a sign of respect to them and also to yourself. Sure. I, I think that's important. But could you break down, for example, if you're new and you want to be a sound engineer or you do want to be a producer, could you talk about the equipment and the software that you would want to buy? Because some people think you have to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds for you to start. But from your point of view, what would you say is good to buy and good to use software-wise and equipment-wise if you're a beginner or even intermediate? Sure. Well, here, here's the thing. I, I was spoiled in the way that I came up because my, the way that I came up in the business, like I said, my first session, and I don't consider anything before I moved to London to be the pro, the kind of big leagues, because, you know, I didn't have any real commercial releases up to that point. Most of it was just like, yeah, check out my track. I might put it out. I don't know how, though. You know? So I don't consider anything until the first Florence and the Machine album. That was basically my first real session. And talk about being thrown into the big leagues. Like, yeah. I bounced around all of the commercial studios around London. And that's, you know, everything from from Maloko Studios to Conk to Rack to Abbey Road to, you know, even ones that are gone now. Um, and I say spoiled because obviously they have all of the classic gear, yeah. different consoles, different everything, huge speakers, you know, whatever you wanted. So I cut my teeth on that and I learned first. But when that became impractical, for example, as a producer, if I wanted to just do, go cut a vocal with somebody, I would have to go pay at least 500 pounds a day just to go into a studio to do that. Yep, that's true. So I thought, okay, you know what? And I mean, especially now, I'm thankful that I, this all this happened before COVID. We're talking, you know, five, six years ago yeah. when I first set up my own um, kind of what they call project home-based studio. Um, I worked hard to basically get software equivalents for every single 
piece of hardware that fit my workflow in those commercial studios. And that took like a lot, that took, you know, a couple of years. But if you look at my setup here, it's not very complicated. I've got a couple of instruments. It's all computer based. I've got an excellent set of monitors. I've got one uh, interface made by Universal Audio. And then I run just tons of software, you know, and I've managed to figure out equivalents so that I'm the only one that knows something was done in a hotel room or a bedroom or wherever you're working. You know, and that takes time, that takes practice. It's not going to happen overnight. But the reason that I illustrate that is because most people that are coming up are doing it home first with aspirations to hit where, to hit the big leagues and big studios. And, you know, in my honest opinion, yes, that stuff is nice and it's fun to be in the studio and be, you know, at that level because a lot of, let's, to be honest, a lot of people just like going to studios because they think it's cool. Yeah, that is true. Right? And it looks, I mean, obviously it looks cool. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's not necessary. And that's coming from somebody who, you know, works, has worked with some very, very good people at, you know, top of the top uh levels who might have done some stuff in in their bedroom yeah you know and i think that conversation used last year as an example like billy eilish cleaned up last year at, at last year's grammys and everything from the kind of producer engineer perspective that i was seeing out in press and everything was stressing how it's possible to achieve with very little from home, it's possible to achieve great things. I like that advice. That's really good advice. You know, that, that, and that's how I, that's how I work now. Right. My, my setup is basic. I try to not buy lots of gear because I know I'm just not going to use it. See, so basically you said to yourself, simplicity is the best way forward for me. Yeah. Now I didn't think that at the beginning because when I was transitioning from the computer commercial studios to a home setup, I'm like, ah, oh, this is impossible. And I'd like walk, you know, walk around my place. And you have, of course, you have all the distractions of, you know, not leaving your house to go work somewhere. And this is also relevant, obviously for everybody in the last year from COVID. Um, you've got all those distractions, but you have to force yourself to find that workflow. And now I'm the type of person I can wake up, I can go straight to work at 8 a.m. or whenever I want, turn it off in the afternoon. And I can turn it on, turn it off whenever I want. How do you, how do you stop? How do you stop yourself? I know this is going to be a difficult question even for me, but yeah. you, you might be able to answer it better than I can because I know it's difficult for me. Yeah. But how do you stop yourself and say that's enough? Because I find it even as a photographer and, and you know, a writer for me to say that's yeah. it. That's it, Savio, you need to stop. But how is it for you? Well, it took, it took a long time. Um, it's hard. It's really hard for me to say how it happened. I think just by repetition, um, you know, one thing I never understood when I was working at commercial studios, I would work at least 16 hour days every day. And a lot of that is because you're at the whim of whatever client you have that day. You know, you might be in with, you might be in doing a rap session or something that starts at 7 p.m. at night and finishes at 6 a.m. the next morning. And then, you know, if your scheduling was bad, you might have a new session that starts at 10 a.m. So it's like, okay, well, do I even bother going home? Can I try to sleep? I don't know. And a lot of people rely on you for that, right? So yeah, yeah. I got stuck in that, and I don't know who made the decision that that was a smart way to work your hours as a business, but it happens out there. And, you know, most people don't question it. They just think that, Oh, I work overnight. I'm going to be productive. And I think that just isn't the case. Yeah. Um, some people that works, but again, you might not see them in the daytime. 
<laughs> you didn't see me in the daytime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, if you find you find the thing that works for you, right? right? For me, I was happy that I came out of that because I'm like, oh, I got so much freedom. I can tell people when I want them here. I can tell them when we're done. And I can just basically do what works for me. Yeah. I definitely you know that. Yeah. And, and that's really the answer. Like for me, my create you you have to find that creative window. For me, if I could get all my clients to be with me at like seven AM and leave by three, for example, that's my productive window. Come three AM, I'm tired, I just turn it off. Yeah. You know? And maybe that's me aging too, but No, it's not. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you got a long time ahead of you, Brian. <laughs> I mean, I did just turn 80, so. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's that's a difficult question. It's not going to it's not going to be the same for everybody, you know? No, that's true. I think you just need like you say you were right. Like you said before, you just need to find your window of what works for you and I think for all of us it can be yeah. challenging and it also can be really difficult brian do you have any mentors that have taken you and said you know what i'm going to help groom you to be the person who you are today to help you become the person who you want to be yeah there there is there's very few of them there's a couple of influential people one of which i've never actually even met as a 16 wow. year old kid there is this guy who's still going, he gets, he's a, he's a big, big, big mixer in the music business called Manny Marroquin in the U he's in the U S he gets, you know, assorted genres of all of the top, top stuff from, from over here, from here in the UK, over there in the U S all over the world. This guy is a top guy. And anyway, when I was a 15, 16 year old kid looking to break into studios, I messaged him and he actually spent the time to message me back Wow! and uh, gave me, just, you know, words of encouragement, like good luck. It's a very weird, weird world out there. Be prepared for ups and downs and blah, blah, blah. You know, all of the usual things that somebody would say once they have the experience. Yeah. But because he was the first one, that has stuck with me. And I've really tried to model the way that I work off of what he does. And, you know, I'm, I'd say I, I'm moving. I have been going in that right direction because... I work on tons of different styles all the time and that's how I keep it fresh and exciting for myself. So I've, I'd say he's an inspiration rather than a mentor, but, uh, one real mentor that I had, especially in the mixing world was, uh, another American guy named Craig Sylvie who had a studio here in London in Shoreditch. Uh -huh. And, um, I cut my teeth with him learning, learning the mixing sides of things basically. And this was a whole other um, branch of the industry that I didn't really anticipate on, first of all, getting into or being any good at. And, uh, you know, it just kind of goes to show you never know, somebody might open up an opportunity for you that allows you not only to make some money, but also to, give you that opportunity to get yourself to the next stage. That's true. You know, so I attribute really my few years with him. I don't, I don't know if I said his name, his name was Craig Sylvie. Yeah. Um, but I attribute that. I attribute the fact that I got my first couple of Grammy nominations for mixing from him even though that was a few years after we had parted ways because, you know, in a mentor um, relationship, obviously things will eventually move on once you've sort of reached the point of, of uh, learning, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, one of the other people actually that I'd say gave me uh, – gave me the time of day, some really good advice, some deep conversations. You know, I could have conversations with him about this kind of stuff. Just, it wasn't forced anything. And this guy's absolutely killing it. It was Fraser T. Smith. Um, he 
you know, I worked with him a number of times on some good stuff like Maverick Saber and Mabel and obviously the Stormzy record, the first Stormzy record. Um, he really gave me some time of day and we're not even talking, uh, that many sessions, you know, he was, he was looking for me to become his full-time engineer, which at that time I really wasn't looking to, um, to continue just engineering for anybody. But when Fraser T. Smith comes calling, you do those sessions. (laughs) (laughs) I like the way you You said that. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I, I would still do it today. You know, I don't engineer for anybody really, but I will do it for some people and Fraser obviously has got a lot of respect um, from me and everyone. And, you know, he's, he's just, he's killing it. So those are, those are a couple of people actually, in addition to um, someone else in the studio world, you know, there's been actually quite a few people in this, in the commercial studio world coming up that, um, gave me their belief and really kind of pushed me on even in the, in the, the kind of darker scenarios or darks, the wrong word, just the, you know, the lows of it when you're going a little bit loopy after you've been up for two days. Oh yeah. I remember working in a studio with somebody. Um, we was all working for, I was a sound engineer and I was working for a rock band, but the guy took over from me. And he stayed there for three or four nights, and he didn't go home. Oh, yeah, it was it was a bad one. I I've yeah. seen I've seen them. Yeah, I think I think my record is uh, two weeks. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and this place didn't have a shower too, so imagine that. Oh, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's that's a whole nother level. You beat him by far. You beat him. It was, but you know what? The light at the end of that tunnel, and I would have never expected it, yeah. was that that project went on to also get a Grammy nomination. <laughs> Whoa, see what I mean? See, guys, yeah. just do what Brian done, two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> two weeks. One yeah. question I do want to ask you, Brian, and it's been on my mind even before we finished this one, was if there was a song that was the soundtrack of your life. And I know this is going to be a hard one. What song would you choose and why would you choose that particular song? <sighs> I, I got him silent for a second. Yeah. You see, I normally just don't even do these questions because I'll literally just, you'll have 20 minutes of silence on this interview. <laughs> There's nothing that I can't sort. <laughs> it's so hard for me, you know, because I've, there's, I've gone through so many stages of things that... Yeah, I thought so. I also don't really look back on things too much. You know, throughout a lot of different periods of the love and the passion for music never went away. The way that it manifests itself has just changed. So, for example, like, I don't really revisit old songs that I've loved in the past anymore because the way that my brain works now is really just work focused a lot. So, and I guess you could say, what do I listen to for pleasure? A lot of times I'll actually sit down and play stuff that I won't really analyze like different types of jazz. Again, we go back to the salsa where I can just sit there and appreciate its musicality, but put on a modern, you know, a modern pop song or a dance track or, a, you know, a trap song, for example, and I'll just sit there and analyze the crap out of it. Um, and that's just automatic, you know? So I, I really wouldn't be able to answer what's the soundtrack to my life because it just changes all the time. You know what? I actually like the fact that you didn't, but you gave me a breakdown of why. no i like it because it it shows me that it's so hard there is so much music out there and it's so hard and we go through different times in our lives as well so just because today your soundtrack might be say for instance a jazz song it doesn't mean tomorrow like you said it might not be a latin song or the next day after that a gospel song so it, it just all depends on the mood the energy you were feeling 
what's going on in our lives. So I, I like the fact that you broke it down like that. I, on, yeah. I only have two more for you, Brian. Sure. Um, which is my second to last one is what would you like your legacy to be when you feel like you've done enough in the world, especially within music? How would you like people to remember you as a person? I would really like my career to be defined as uh, I've, over the years, actually, in the last couple of years, because I do all these odd jobs and I'm capable of doing all these odd jobs with different types of people and different styles and everything, I've kind of got the nickname from from some people that called the finisher. And what that basically means is whatever stage of a project you're at, I'll just step in and help you finish it, which is a, a big, big problem that a lot of creatives have because yeah. you might get excited by an idea and then never finish it. So I help facilitate that. And I would really like to, to have the overall career looked at as like, wow, that person really was the finisher. They can bounce around between whatever it is, get the job done at any stage of a project. You know, for me, that is the, that's the pleasure that I derive from it. I'm not one of those people that sits there and will spend two years with you on a project. I'm just, you know, my pay, I know what my patience level is and it's not suited to that. I like the way you said that. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the nice way to put it. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I, I feel like that is really the goal, but the way that that's changing, you, you were, you're catching me at the time at a really pivotal change period where educating people properly and trying to actually make meaningful change that inspires other careers and gives people a leg up that I didn't have and that pretty much every single person that I know didn't have that is also where we're going. So how that factors in, we might have to come back again in five years and, and answer the same question. Do you know what? I would love to have an interview with you in five years' time. Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. I like, see? Hey, that guy's, he said yes. We'll, so, do it. we'll do it on my yacht. How about that? That's even better. <laughs> I, you know what? That's even better. I will have... Uh, I'll have a, a rosé wine and I will just yeah. chill with you. Okay. And I'll, I'll, bring I'll write your order down already. See, well, see, oh, wow, I feel humbled. See, <laughs> I'll bring the equipment, I'll bring the mics, you okay, know, perfect. and we can chill and have yeah. a really nice, spontaneous conversation that we have now. I yeah. really enjoyed it. My cool. final question. I think you have a gift. I, do you know what? Before I even say my last question to you, Brian, I think you have an incredible gift for when you were talking about finishing creatives work with them yeah. to help them just be the best that they can be and make yeah. it sound. I think that's a gift. I think it's an absolute gift. I mean, it's not, I've never really considered it. I appreciate you saying it. I've never thought of it in that way just because it, it just feels like a natural slot for me and, and like what I provide, Yeah. you know, but actually when I think about what that does for people, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, because even you, you know, saying it to me, it just resonated with me and I understood right. how it feels to feel stuck for, for a moment. Yeah and feel frustrated and i'm sure you've been there yep and you want oh, to finish I'm something there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm coming to you i'm gonna help you i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna come and help yeah. you so no that's definitely something that resonated with me and i just wanted to tell you it's a gift you have and even and even sometimes where i know us as creators we are constantly critics of our own work mm -hmm. um but no from an outsider and talking to you for an hour, I can see that you're passionate about your work. You have a gift to be able to help people pull out the potential within them to show the world what they can achieve. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I try, I try to apply that wherever I can. You know, the vast majority of, of people that I encounter just seem to kind of be uh, 
lost in this unwillingness to either learn, develop themselves personally, professionally. You know, I off, I also do, sometimes I just do consulting sessions with people and essentially do what you and I are doing right now on this yeah. podcast and just talking through problems because sometimes all you need is for that different perspective from, from a place of experience yeah. to understand how to get through some potential difficulty. Yeah, most definitely. See, I love that. My, I want to talk so much more, but I know I have my last question for you. No problem. <laughs> Which is, could you tell us, I've had the pleasure of interviewing you today, Brian, but in case anybody else would like to have a conversation with you, just like I have today, yeah. could you let them know where they could find you and all your social medias? Of course, of course. Yeah, you can. Uh, I'm, on, I'm everywhere. I'm t on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, I, under the name uh, Boom Dice. That's the the um, the at. You can find me on brianwilsonmusic.com as well. Um, you know, if you have a project that you want to talk about, you go to the website, fill in the form, put all the specifics there. If it's about consultation, advice, you know, I run sessions for that as well. Um, or if it's about mixing your track, producing an EP, anything like that, you know, if it's my, um, if you're a new artist and, uh, you know, new as in you have a few releases, you might have a little bit of hype going um, and you want to just level up that project and you want to send your demos, send it to boomdicepresents at gmail.com. That'll go to my label and platform. Uh, you know, we'll listen to anything that gets attached there. Just be specific, be personable. Um, and, you know, somebody will get back to you if it's kind of, if it's the right fit for what we're doing. But brianwilson.com, brianwilsonmusic.com, sorry, or at boomdice um, on all the, all the social media handles. And I'm there. Perfect. Guys, you hear that? If I was you guys, I would definitely send a message to Brian. Because Brian is out for your best interest at heart. So from having a conversation with him, I can clearly see that. Brian, I certainly want to thank you so much for your kindness, your honesty. Thank you. And your humbleness for coming on the Us People podcast. I've enjoyed every single second of it. Me too. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the Us People podcast. Please remember you can subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play and any other platform that you prefer listening to. Please also follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And you can also donate to the Us People podcast by simply going to the Savvy Rocks website or just typing in paypal.me forward slash Us People podcast. Guys, Thank you so much for listening. Stay happy, stay positive, and as always, please continue to be kind to one another. Yeah, I've been trying to get into radio, but no one will listen. Why not? Come on, you have the connections. They should just swing you in there. I don't. I don't know anyone at radio, and I don't know how to get voiceovers. You know, I've even I've even gone to the point of doing, of like, writing out a Colgate commercial and being like, new Colgate, blah, 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 and recording it and sending it. <laughs> I like that. You know what? Maybe we should have our own show. Maybe that's something to look forward to in the future. I'd be down for that. See, right? Okay, this is good. I'm liking this. Just now? Yeah. All right. <laughs> this is... Uh, okay, wait. <laughs> this is Sean Snow at Channel 4 News. <laughs> I, I should put that up. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is Brian Wilson. You're listening to the Us People podcast. I'm a Grammy-nominated producer, mixer, engineer, and artist. Let me do one more. Let me do one more. It wasn't good. Um, this is Brian Wilson. I'm a producer, mixer, engineer. You're listening to Us the People podcast. Nope. <laughs>
These are outtakes. I like them. Us okay. People Podcast with Savio Rocks. Us People. Yeah, podcast. With Savio Rocks. Yeah, that's it. There you go. Okay. This is Brian Wilson. Fuck. <laughs> okay, sorry, one more. This is Brian Wilson. I'm a Grammy-nominated producer, mixer, engineer, and you're listening to the Us People podcast with Savia Rocks. See? <laughs> I just had to swear once. That's fine. I love it. That was it. <laughs> Brian, thank you so much, okay?